Hello friends. Thank you as always for being here. Welcome to the Elemental Entrepreneurship Podcast where we discuss the earth, air, fire, water, and spirit elements of your creative business and life. You might notice the intro is a little different today because I changed it because I got sick of the old one and I'll probably change it again because everything is an art project and uh, that's just how it goes. Before we jump into the episode, I want to talk for just a moment about Black Friday. It is November 16th when I'm recording this. Black Friday is right around the corner, and I love Black Friday. I love it both as a consumer and as a business owner. I am a deal shopper for sure, and there are, I actually have a big list this year. There are so many things that I want. There are things that I want for my business. There are things that I want for my house. There are things that I want for my cats. Um, and, you know, if I'm going to make a large purchase, I am the kind of person who's likely to wait until Black Friday and see if those things are going to go on special so that I can get some kind of really good discount for them. And I am the kind of person who will happily wait for months to get something um, because I think I might get a better deal on it on Black Friday. Uh, and I will like squirrel away money so that I can do those things on Black Friday. I know that not everyone is like that, but I certainly am. And frequently uh, in my business investing, I'm saving up for coaching, for courses, for tech, for cameras, right? Like anything I need for my business, I'm going to get those things on Black Friday if I can. And I know that a lot of the folks in my audience feel similarly. And so I love thinking about Black Friday and what I want to offer and how I can create really exciting, compelling ways to allow people to work with me who might not otherwise be able to afford it um, or are just like me and love a fucking deal. So uh, this year is no different, um, but the deal that I am offering this year is quite different than what I've been offering the past few years. So up until now, the only way that you could participate in elemental entrepreneurship was to do it live with me. And the live coaching program is six months long, and it is a nearly $6,000 investment. And I have loved leading it this way. I have loved teaching it this way. But the two downsides to it being taught this way um, is that one, it is primarily for entrepreneurs who are not yet making consistent three to 5K months in their business. And when you're just at the starting out phases of your business, coming up with an additional several thousand dollars to invest in a coaching program may be out of reach for a lot of people. And while I offer payment plans and partial scholarships, there are still a lot of people who just don't feel ready to make an investment that large in their business when they're first starting out or they're not capable of it for a myriad of financial reasons, and that's totally valid. The other hard thing about it is that you had to wait until the program opened to join in. So people who would come into my audience and find me and be like, oh my gosh, I want to do Elemental, I would have to say, we well, have to wait until next year. You have to wait several months because it's not open yet. And all of that is about to change. I have been hard at work behind the scenes getting prepared for the brand new Elemental Entrepreneurship Shop that will open to the public on Black Friday. 
I've completely reworked the elemental material and you will now be able to take a quiz to determine your dominant elements and the elements where you need the most work and go into the shop and get one element at a time and work through it on your own. So you will also be able to get a bundle. You can get all of the elements together for less than half. It's almost like 60% off of what it costs to do the program live. I think the full bundle is $2,500. Or you will be able to get an element at a time. And on Black Friday, there will be a coupon code that allows you to get 20% off the individual bundles or 25% off if you get the full, or I'm sorry, 25 20% 20% off the individual elements or 25% off if you get the full bundle. There we go. I said it right that time. I'm really excited about this. I'm so excited about how it opens up the elemental material to be so much more accessible and so much more affordable to people at every phase of their entrepreneurship journey. And if you are really bootstrapping and starting out, you know, the scrappy DIY art hustler like I did, what I'm hoping that this allows you to do is to get in and start learning the entrepreneurship skills you need. And then you will be able to come to office hours, my monthly pay what you can coaching. So you can really create your own kind of coaching experience of working with me for so much cheaper than you've ever been able to do it before when you're first starting out. You can buy just the element you need, start working through it, and then come to pay what you can office hours and ask questions, get clarification, ask for guidance particular to your situation. And then as you start to build steam, build momentum, build revenue, if you're ready from there to do a full day with me or move into one-on-one coaching, those options will still be there. But I really wanted to make this work as accessible as possible because I believe in it so much and I know how helpful and how impactful it is for filling the knowledge gaps that people have at the beginning stages of business. And I don't want that to be out of people's affordability. I really want to make this work um, available to the people who need it most. So I'm excited. I hope that you are too. If you are not a member of my Facebook group, Unstuck, the link for that is in the show notes. And if you join Unstuck group, the link will be dropping there early um, in advance of Black Friday. And then the link will be going out on my Instagram and to my email list on Black Friday. So uh, I hope that you are excited. I hope you're ready to get in there, take the quiz, grab the elements that you need or get the full bundle and start building your elemental business. Meanwhile, the last live cohort of Elemental Entrepreneurship, they're all gearing up for their Black Friday launches and there are several people in the program who have already made their full investment in the program back in advanced sales before their Black Friday launch has even gone live. So the program works. The people who are doing the work are seeing results. They are making money. They are building their lists. They are growing their followings. They are getting paid customers. So the work works when you work it. And I am very excited for all of the new people who will be joining the Elemental Entrepreneurship family after Black Friday. All right. So announcement time is over. Let's get into this episode, which is about money. It's about finances. It's about your budget. It's about your relationship to money. And it's about budgeting as a form of self-care. 
I am talking today with my best friend, Lila, who is the host of A Stripper's Guide podcast and runs the business A Stripper's Guide, which is guidance for queers, creatives, and sex workers. She's also my best friend. So if you've been around for a while, you may have seen her on my Instagram or seen us promoting each other's work. Uh, And Lila and I talk on the phone for hours. probably every day. Um, and she's in New York and I'm in LA. And so our, uh, we spend a lot of time on the phone and in one of our many phone calls, we somehow got into talking about how whenever we work with clients or even friends and family on starting to turn their financial situations around or really get a grasp for the first time on their financial situations, we've come to expect a certain emotional, a reaction of guilt and shame and making a bunch of disclaimers about how like my it won't always be this expensive or shock at how high the number is of what our lives and our businesses really cost and Lila and I both went through that when we first started trying to get a grasp on our own financial situations and it's just common it's just how it is um we all have weird relationships with money. Um, I hate to say weird, but that's just the word that came to mind. We all have complicated, usually fraught uh, beliefs about money. And these are all connected to our root chakra. This is earth work in elemental terms. Uh, And then some sacral work because money is also about relationships. But, you know, in our capitalist society, money is safety. It's how we feed ourselves. It's how we shelter ourselves. It is how we take care of ourselves. And then when we move into entrepreneurship, and especially creative entrepreneurship, it's how we place a value on our work, which can start to feel like it's how we value ourselves and how we define our self-worth, which is not actually true. It's just that those things get conflated in a way that's very emotional and complex. So this isn't the first time we've talked about money and emotions on this show, and I'm sure it won't be the last, but we really get into the idea of um, being engaged and intimate and proactive with your budget as being a form of self-love and self-care. We ended up generating a lot of impromptu journaling prompts during this episode. So, I mean, obviously, if you're driving or something as you're listening, you won't be able to. But if you're chilling at home as you listen to this, grab your journal and a pen and be ready to grab the journaling prompts that come up so that you can work through some of these questions on your own. And if this was impactful for you or you ended up feeling emotional about it, as always, you can come to my office hours uh, next month. We already did November's, but you can come to December office hours and uh, and chat with me about it and see if you need to get some coaching on any of the issues that came up for you as you were doing this journaling. Um, please, as always, like, share, subscribe, rate, review, send it to a friend, post it on your Instagram, send it to your local halal butcher and your neighbor three doors down on the left. (laughs) Share it with everyone that you can. Uh, It really helps me. It helps Lila. It helps the show grow. If it means a lot to you, it means a lot to me. So thank you for listening. All right, let's go ahead and get into the show. (music) 
Yeah, so this is a crossover episode. We are very excited to have you here. And uh, for my listeners, Sarah, can you tell folks a little bit about yourself and what you do? For sure. I am a schmear. <laughs> I am a, a, a creamy topping that you apply to the foundation of your life. I don't I'm just trying to. Um, I, her OnlyFans is linked in the show notes of this episode, by the way. That is also true. Um, I am a life and business coach for artists, healers, and creative entrepreneurs. I am the founder and CEO of Intuitive Edge Coaching, LLC. Um, But it mostly means that I hang out all day and have cool conversations with people about how to... uh, you know, stop self-sabotaging, get out of their own way, shed toxic social conditioning so that they can like do the work that they feel like they're here to do on the planet and make money and um, not starve to death while doing it. It's pretty much what I do. That's why we love you. Your turn. Who are you? What do you do? (laughs) Who am I? I am Lila, lover of cats. Uh, I... Yeah. I, so, okay. So I am the founder of a stripper's guide, life, leadership, and relationship coaching for queers, creatives, and sex workers. I myself am all of those things. Um, I also hang out and talk to people about, you know, the shit that's going on in their lives and try and help them and support them through, you know, big life changes. Uh, Sarah and I have a sort of crossover demographic of, of clients, um, who are a lot of creatives. We both work like primarily with creatives and artists. Uh, we work with a lot of femmes, non-binary folks, um, queer folks, and people who are experiencing other intersections of marginalization. Um, we both have a lot of sex worker clients. Um, and, So today we wanted to do this episode about money and emotions that come with money things, uh, namely fear, guilt, and shame. Those seem to be attached to money, uh, money issues for a lot of the people in the demographics that I just described. I know that for Sarah and I, um, we both have a history of being very familiar with those emotions when it comes to money. And now as uh, like both of us, anti-capitalist coaches helping other people through their shit, um, we have had to both do a lot of, you know, work, spiritual work, emotional work in order to get into a relationship with money that feels workable and manageable and even pleasurable So we're going to be talking to you about that, and we're going to be talking about budgeting as self-care. I want to highlight something that you just said, you know, starting with the fact that you said the budgeting as self-care, which some of you immediately might be like, I'm turning this off. I hate this. Don't ever say that word to me ever again. Um, But you also said making your relationship with money pleasurable, and I just want to invite everyone listening to stop where you are um, as long as you're not driving your car and maybe close your eyes and take a deep breath. And if you're, and think about how your current relationship with money feels. And if the idea that your relationship with money could feel not only manageable, but pleasurable seems so far out of reach for you, then you are especially invited to drop in today and, um, 
be with us. And even if some of the things that we suggest or share sound like really far from where you're at, um, maybe listen to this more than once and maybe spend some time with it. Um, because it is possible to have a relationship with money that's pleasurable. And I know that there was a time in my life where if you had said that to me, I might have like punched you in the face or at least rolled my eyes and walked away. Um, but not only do I think it's possible, I kind of think that it's required for your relationship with money to start becoming intimate and pleasurable even before it starts feeling manageable. But that's that's kind of where it comes from, like many other things in life. I think we have a very results-first, backwards training of looking at many things, right? Like once once I have the outcome, then I get to feel differently about this. But so often we need to feel differently about something in order to create the outcome that we want. And money is definitely one of those areas where starting to shift our feelings about money allows us to start to shift our thoughts about money, which allows us to start shifting our relationship with money, which allows us to start having different outcomes, which feeds the good feelings. And then it becomes a a reciprocal, cyclical pleasure loop relationship, which doesn't mean that like you'll never encounter another time where there's stress. Um, And that's some of what we're going to talk about today is that, you know, guilt, shame, fear, uh, stress about money, is not attached to a certain dollar amount and it can come up at any phase in your financial journey because there's so much um, attached to what money means in our society. Um, Right. Like I think a lot of us, if, if we've grown up without money, think like someday if I have a lot of money, I will never have any more stress about money. But like the idea that if you're a millionaire, you never have money stress. Like we know that that's not true too. Um, So like, The emotions around it and the thoughts around it so frequently are the thing that needs to be addressed before we can start changing behaviors and seeing new results. And so that's really what we're what we're kind of talking about today. And speaking on the way like the messaging that we receive about money in this capitalist society, one of the other mind frames that you and I are both really familiar with and something that I myself was raised with and is is this idea that like people with money are bad people and um and I think that that's that is something that I see so often in the demographic that I work with which is really ironic because the demographic that I work with are like really kind giving generous people. And whenever they bring this fear to me, this idea that like, if I have money, I will be selfish (laughs) to have money is selfish. I'm like, no, if you have money, you're going to give it all away. So you should probably learn how to budget (laughs) so that you don't do that. (laughs) Like giving it away is awesome, but like keeping some for yourself is also awesome because that makes the giving sustainable. And that's something that like, I think we can get so, uh, well, like a tunnel vision on the the stories that we were raised with in terms of what money means and what having money means that we don't oftentimes like zoom out and see the full picture of like well actually what if i what if my entire personality didn't shift when i got a little money and became financially stable like what if my personality just became amplified by the, uh, like, what if my generosity became, like, bigger 
you know, that spirit. I think that it's really crucial to think of money like what is it, right? So let's talk about what it is. Like it's an amplifier spell <laughs> to put it in the nerdiest terms possible, right? Like it's not a transformation spell necessarily. It's an amplifier spell. Um, so if you are already a kind, generous, thoughtful person with a mind toward social justice and radical change and remaking the world and you get a lot more money in your hands that's going to amplify the level on which you're able to be that person to do that work to make those changes and if you are a selfish extractive prick and you come into a lot of money you'll be able to be that on a larger scale it's only there to mirror and amplify what's already there. And I think another thing in terms of how we think about money is making sure that we separate the idea of money from the idea of abundance or scarcity, right? So abundance and scarcity are, they are first and foremost, like energetics and they are mindsets, right? So like they are, and when I say a mindset, I mean a framework of how you think about what's available, that a bunch of other thoughts, assumptions, and beliefs. I think I always think of a mindset as like a closet. That like, <laughs> there's like, right, there's like the closet and then there's the, the rod and then there's the hangers and then there's the clothes. The mindset is the closet itself and then beliefs are like the rod and then your individual kind of thoughts are the hangers that go inside of that. It's this like layered structure. So when we, t- and we usually have multiple mindsets in multiple different areas, right? So you have more than one closet in your house. Um, you might have a whole scarcity mindset that has a lot of different beliefs in it that are the foundation of a lot of different thoughts. And you may also have some abundance-based mindsets that you have some abundance-based beliefs in with lots of abundance-based thoughts in different areas of your life, right? So we all have these structures of abundance and scarcity. And then money is a tool, right? So money isn't a fact. Money isn't a determination of our worth or value as human beings. It is just a tool. And it's a very important tool within capitalism in the waning days of Babylon, right? It's a very important tool. We fucking need it. But it is not, I think sometimes we take money as being a god, a monolith, a an unchangeable or immovable thing, something that can't be the way that we think about it is permanent and can't be changed. And so when we can separate the idea of money from the idea of abundance, even like people talk about abundance and like, there's the immediate assumption you're talking about money. That's not necessarily true. Also within scarcity, you can be, you can have scarcity feelings, beliefs, mindsets about lots of things, right? Many of us have scarcity about love, about attention, about opportunities, right? Like the idea that, there's, there's only so many opportunities out there. And if someone else gets one, there's less for me. That's a scarcity framework versus the idea of like, there are tons of opportunities out there. And the more there are, the more there are. And if I get more opportunities, I will create more opportunities and I'll bring my friends with me. Like that's an abundance mindset. So money, our beliefs and our thoughts about money they're usually in one of these two closets, right? Like they're in an abundance closet or a scarcity closet. Um, we have frameworks around money where we're like, oh, there's there's never enough, 
no matter what I do, there's never enough. That would be like that lives in a scarcity closet, right? And it doesn't mean you can't take it out. Think about whether or not that's where you want to have it. Think about whether or not you could potentially move it. And I want to say also in this, just like sidebar, not saying all of this is mindset and there are no structural realities about money, how it moves, economic opportunities, the intersections of race, class, uh, body, ability, um, social location, where you live, where you're born, like all of those things play into it. So I'm never going to be like, oh, just change your mindset and everything's different automatically. Not what I'm saying at all. But intersecting with your financial reality and the reality of your social location and identity, there are also thoughts, beliefs, frameworks that you were probably raised with that are not even really yours, that you carried into your relationship with money as an adult and are now possibly like running the show and determining how you think, how you feel, how you move, what you do. I just talked for a long time. Okay, that's my story. The end by me. Your turn. It was great. Um, I was like fully enthralled and doing lots of like dramatic hand gestures in agreement with what you were saying. One of the one of the things I know that you and I are both really on fire about is more marginalized folks, especially queer people, especially femmes, especially black and people of color, like <clears throat> amassing wealth. <laughs> as a part of collective liberation, right? And like, as a, we are in capitalism. None of us chose this, right? We were born into this. Some people continue to choose violence. Like some people are born and continue to choose capitalism just because we reject the principles of capitalism doesn't mean we can extrapolate our vision from it right like I feel like my vision for the world is so inextricably tied to the fall of capitalism like capitalism must fall (laughs) in order for um in order for collective liberation to to be and that means that like yes I can renounce the world and I can go you know live in a cave under a rock and like hunt squirrels but that actually that might take me off the map That might allow me to step out of capitalism, but my goal is for all of us to escape this intersection of harmful systems. And one of the things that really is like a bee in my bonnet (laughs) is so many folks in our communities of artists and visionaries and dreamers have the idea that money means capitalism. And, Mm -hmm. and so people are really freaked out about, I thought that for a long time. And like, people are really freaked out about the idea of like developing a comfortable relationship with money because they're like, Oh, if we, you know, if I feel comfortable with money, then I'm like complicit in capitalism. And it's like, well, we're all fucking complicit in capitalism, but there are realities to the, like, to like, there are limits to all of our individual power And for most of us, most of the listeners on these podcasts, like there are large limits on our ability to individually affect systemic change, but that's because systemic change takes an army (laughs) (laughs) and money. I just money. Yeah, exactly. A flashback to an argument I had over the summer with a like over 
random drinks at a pool party with this drunk white man about the idea that money and capitalism were not the same thing. Uh, okay. Uh, yeah, uh, flashbacks. Um, it was a difficult conversation. I eventually worked him around uh, to understanding what the hell I was talking about, but it, it was a hard one. Like business existed before capitalism. People well, did also, business. There, there's money in non-capitalist economy. Right. Right. <laughs> like, like humans barter things. It's part of our social, like social capital is a, like we are such social creatures. We're not like dogs, like dogs are social creatures, but like the way humans socialize, the way we build, we exchange things. And like the idea that money has to be some type of like extractive exchange or some type of like um, negative exchange is very much a product of like unequal, unequal systems and unequal society. But like in actuality, spent time in actual communist countries where there's paper money, like just yeah. literally, like yes, on there's back. literally money. And <laughs> there's, there's money, which 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 means that like money, money itself, like Sarah said, is just a tool, and it's what we do with it that gives it power. So I want to um, I want to say that both Lila and I are autistic kids with ADHD. Um, <laughs> well, I don't know if I have ADHD. I'm I'm open to the idea that I have ADHD. I just <laughs> but we're but it's the shoe seems to be fitting. So if we go if we go seventy minutes <laughs> at once in our conversation, uh, you're welcome. Follow us. Hang on tight. But I want to network my my way back to. You said a thing that tied into another thing that tied into a thing that I said that brought everything back together. What was the thing? Oh, the thing about our people feeling like um, we have to reject money to reject capitalism, right? And so, again, if you are a thoughtful, sensitive, creative person who's interested in seeing the way this world works change and you have personally felt the pain of um, living in late stage capitalism and um, poverty and economic injustice in your own life. And then you're coming into adulthood and you're coming into maybe career building and wanting to start to like build a comfortable life for yourself. But you have this feeling that like you have to reject money or else you will be inherently perpetuating systems of harm it makes sense that you're the, you're you're feeling your fear your desire then is that it's this really convoluted thing of like you know you need it you know you need it you need it to live you need it to be comfortable you need it to reduce the level of stress and anxiety in your life so that you can be more creative and more present to your work and you can do the things in the world you want to do you need it to be able to invest in your projects in order to have the kind of impact that you want to have you need it if you want to invest in your communities to make the kind of impact that you want to make or create the kind of change you want to make right like you need it and you know that And then also you feel personally rejecting of it. The fact that you need it, maybe you have some shame, some guilt, resentment around even needing it. And all of it can get emotionally very complex. But understand that you rejecting money. Like, I can't tell you how many people are like, well, I hate money. And I'm like, that's probably the problem, right? Like, we have to start there for you to say you hate money 
usually then what's tied to it is this idea that like we have to do stuff for money that we don't want to do, right? That we inherently can only do things for money that are extractive from us, that are extractive of our labor, that make us feel bad, um, that there isn't a path in the world, especially as artists who are probably raised being told that the only thing you're good at isn't a job, right? Like that there's not a path in the world for you to be able to make a comfortable, sustainable living doing your real soul work, right? Like the, you have to have a backup plan. You have to have a day job, which means you're always going to be compromising and trading your time on this planet for a paycheck that doesn't cover your bill, right? Like there's all this just shit in there. And again, like a lot of that stuff, some people have said that, right? Like a belief is a thought you just keep thinking. And then James Wedmore, uh, who's a business coach, uh, he says like a belief is a thought that you don't think anymore. And I think that that's more accurate, right? We, with a belief, we don't question it anymore. We don't interrogate it. We don't pull it to the forefront of our mind and ever ask ourselves if it's true. It just lives there and we assume that it is. So if you have some of these ideas of like, there's not an option for me to make a living for myself. And so I'm always going to have to have an extractive day job. And I'm always going to have to be trading my time on this planet for money. And I'm always going to feel this resentment. And there's never going to be enough. And I'm never going to be able to get out of this. And it's so deep in there that you just assume that it's true and immovable. And that there's nothing that can be done about that. You're probably making a lot of your daily choices from that that kind of invisible baseline without ever pulling that out and being like, is that really true? Why do I think it's not possible for me to make a living doing what I love? Who taught me that? Do I want that to be the only truth possible for my life? Do I, when I look around, can I find any evidence that that's not true? Do I know anyone making a living from doing what I do? If they can do it, why can't I, right? Like when we take something out of being an unquestioned belief and pull it forward and interrogate it a little bit into like, just start asking like, is this a hundred percent immovably true? The world opens up a little bit. Our, our possibilities open up sidebar, not a plug, kind of a plug. That may be why you would benefit from coaching because coaching is really about asking new questions and frequently the quality of our lives is determined by the quality of questions that we're asking ourselves or being asked. And most of us live in community with people who are in really similar beliefs, mindsets, circumstances that we are. So if there's no one around you who's ever asked that question, it's it's really easy to think the question isn't able to be answered until someone like one of us goes like, but wait, why couldn't you make a living doing what you want? Why couldn't you have enough money to live? Why couldn't you have free time? What if you could have a life without having four jobs at a time? What if it was possible? I can almost hear a lot of the listeners being like, well, here's why. And like immediately coming back with a laundry list of why they, why they can't do those things. Um, which is a common thing, which is why these things, these things like it doesn't, it doesn't, it doesn't stop at just the, your first gut reaction to the question it's often like these questions that cause us to have like strong emotional reactions that are worth investigating further and and like just opening up a crack in yourself of like well maybe just maybe the way that I'm looking at this like isn't the only way I could be looking at this and I did want to say Sarah Sarah said this but I also want to put in like um in in 
in sort of like a, a shorter sentence because it was just part of what Sarah was saying. But Sarah, um, Sarah had said a while ago, you know, oftentimes the beliefs that we are, who taught me this, like who taught me this belief about, about money or whatever the thing is. And then Sarah was saying that, you know, oftentimes the people in our lives are in similar situations as we are and uphold the same beliefs. And I think in an extent of that is like when we're thinking about our beliefs about money or relationships or love or a time or whatever, um, it's helpful to ask like who taught me this and who upholds this belief in my life. Um, but yeah, so I just want to like boil that down to a nugget for folks. If you want to like write yeah, it down. That's a great journal it. prompt. If you are starting, if this is starting to crack you open a little bit into thinking about things, who taught me this and who upholds this belief in my life. That's a great thing to apply to money and many other situations in your life. Um, so as Lila was saying, like the, the gut reaction of like, well, here's why, here's all the reasons why not that. A, frequently when people are going to give you a here's why, and, and when I say people, I include myself in this, right? We all do this. Here's why. We're going to give you a laundry list of circumstances that exist thus far. And to like bake your noodle a little bit on the like Newtonian physical reality versus the quantum reality, um, the circumstances that exist thus far are the result of the beliefs and the thoughts and the behaviors that you and the experiences that you've had thus far. They are not necessarily all that will ever be possible right so like even the immediate here's all the reasons why not those things don't necessarily always have to be permanent and just on a really practical level right we can be like well here's why not because my living expenses are too high and my car note is too high and I'm in this shitty situation right like that may be a right now but then the next series of questions is like what's the thread we can pull to start changing it right if your living expenses are too high do we need to figure out how we can help you earn more or do we need to figure out like do you need to move right like so like there's always there's always somewhere to go again when you're willing to to start pulling things apart a little bit and maybe considering that like that change is possible and and knowing that a, it, it may not be immediate, right? And I think that we don't like that. We want, like, especially when we're in a difficult financial situation, and I know I've been there, like, sometimes realizing, like, I'm in a financial situation that's going to take me one to three years to fix or more is, like, disheartening. We don't like it. We want it to be immediate. We're like, well, I can't fix it today, so I can't fix it. And so it is important to realize, like, sometimes – Sometimes we're not going to like the answer of how we can change it. And the answer of how we can change it might be a much like longer, slower transition than we would love for it to be. Everyone wants a windfall, right? We want like a glamorous, like, and tomorrow I wake up and all my financial problems are solved. But sidebar, actually, you don't want that. It would just be a whole list of new problems if you came into a shit ton of money and didn't know how to manage it. There's actually like, um, there's a place called the Institute of Sudden Money that literally just exists to coach people through coming into large sums of money because it does usually bankrupt people. Like people who win the lottery usually end up bankrupt within one to three years. We think that we want to arrive at the top of the mountain, but climbing the mountain is where you build all the skills you will need to live at the top of the mountain. So I love that. I love what you just said. Like climbing the mountain builds the skills you need because it is true that like 
and I know I've heard you say this on multiple occasions, the times that I have been in financial like trouble and financial dire straits, like, hello, 2020, anybody? I don't know if anybody else was there, but um, like not even just 2020, but like those, my, my times of financial hardship have been the times where I have gained the most important money skills, like practical skills, like budgeting being the number one, but also where I gained skills of resilience and adaptability and, and, and faith and trusting my intuition. I mean, faith in myself, like faith in myself, which for me means faith in the universe, because I believe that I am part of one collective whole and like having faith in myself does have a lot to do with having faith in the, the sort of like system of magic that I I believe like binds us all together. And so let's talk about that. Let's talk about sort of these. So we're talking about guilt, fear, and shame. And we, we touched on how, uh, fear, you know, this, this fear of money, this fear of having, so like we, we have like a catch 22 a lot of the time because we have fear of having no money, um, or what will happen if we have no money or we can't cover all our expenses or whatever. Um, and then we have oftentimes fear of like, getting money because we're afraid that that will make us bad or that will make us selfish or that will make us evil or whatever. And then there can be guilt mixed up in that, which like, let's talk about, should we talk about what happens when we help people budget for the first time? Yeah. And I I remembered the thing that I wanted to say, and it ties the idea that money would solve the problems, right? So there's that too. It's like, oh, like all of these problems that I have would be solved if I had an quote unquote enough money, whatever that is for where you are. Because like they've also done studies where they said like um, they've interviewed tons and tons of people from all different financial backgrounds. And like no matter how much money people made up to being millionaires, all of them said that they don't have enough. And all of them reported that 15 to 20% more would be what they needed. So like, that's also just a symptom of capitalism. Most of us are in a place of feeling like no matter how much we make 15 to 20% more would probably be better. Um, Cause there's just more stuff that we could always buy. Um, or more stable or more comfortable that we could always be. So if you're in a place of feeling like money would solve the problem, whatever the problem is, the emotional problem, the stress problem, the logistical problem, it's also like maybe important to pull back and consider like, do you think that people who have more money than you don't ever have that problem? And like most of the time we know that not to be true, right? So if you are not comfortable managing the amount of money you're earning and spending right now, what makes you think that you would be comfortable managing 10 times more, right? Like if you can't handle the level of people in your life right now, how would you manage if you had 10 times more? If you have a business and you can't handle yourself and one uh, team member, how would you manage 20 people? Like a lot of the times what's really going on is about about how we're managing and thinking about and moving the resource that we, the res, the level of resources we have right now. And so we think that more money would solve it. But then when we look around, we see there are quote unquote rich people who go broke, 
who make poor investment decisions, who lose everything, who misspend, who are always strapped, right? Like we, the way that we are relating to and utilizing this tool is actually a lot of the time what's determining our experience of it in the day to day, right? So like you can make a relatively small amount of money But if you have a pretty comfortable intimacy with money and you're looking at your accounts every day and you know what your life costs and you know what all of your expenses are and you're living within your means, you might feel financially very comfortable and you might make comparatively a shit ton of money, but you don't look at your accounts. You don't know what you make compared to what you spend. You don't really pay attention to how high your expenses are. You make risky investments. You spend whatever you want, you go on trips, and then you frequently find yourself in situations where like your phone keeps getting turned off. I think about an ex of mine who when we met made $250,000 a year and regularly got their cell phone shut off. I was like, what is happening? And they were just like, I don't open my mail. Really? (laughs) I was like, it's not that the money's not there. It's just like, what are you spending it on? They're like, I went to I went to Vegas for three weeks. I don't know. Like, like, so When we're talking about budgeting as self-care, how you are looking at interacting with, creating intimacy with, whatever the amount of money it is you have coming in and going out is the starting point for what this relationship, because money is a relationship, what it feels like in your life and whether or not it feels workable, manageable, like you understand it or stressful, disconcerting, scary. I always parallel money relationships to romantic relationships. And just in terms of chakras, they're connected root and sacral. If your relationship, if you were in a a romantic partnership that was chaotic and you never knew what the other person was thinking and you never knew when they were coming or going and you were dismissive to them, talked shit to them, said all the time that you hated them, acted like you didn't want them around. And then when they weren't there, you were desperate and really wanted them around, but you never told them that. And the relationship was like avoidant and withholding. You would probably feel really unsettled all the time and it wouldn't feel like a safe, comfortable relationship. And if you have a relationship where there's a lot of checking in and there's really clear communication and there's an effort on both sides for the people to understand one another and you speak to each other with respect and loving kindness and you make regular time to check in and pay attention to each other and you're thoughtful and considerate of each other's needs, that's going to be a relationship that feels safe and stable and secure. And like you get to think about your relationship with money in these terms, like if your relationship with money was a relationship with a person, what would that relationship be like right now today? There's another journaling prompt. Yeah, there's one for you. (laughs) One of the biggest favors you can do for yourself is if you're up for it, address your relationship to money, especially during times of financial strain. Like, because if nothing else you're allowed to feel better. You know what I mean? Like if you've got like a lot of money, anxiety or shame or fear or guilt or all of the above, and you're in a place where you're financially strapped, you 
being stressed out and feeling like shit about yourself isn't going to help the situation. And it's not, it is possible to approach this situation with compassion and with, I, I really, I really think that it's, it's really helpful to work with like your inner parent, work with your inner parent child relationship during times of money strain and, you know, all other times, but like, it can be really helpful in that circumstance to kind of like, listen to the way you talk about money, like Sarah was saying, and also listen to the way you talk to yourself and about yourself in regards to your relationship with money. And like, even making those shifts can start to help shift you into a place of more like ease and comfort. And when we're feeling like at ease and slightly more like we're able to pull ourselves out of like serious anxiety mode, even for just a little while at a time, those are the places from which we can make more clearer decisions, like clear headed decisions and actually like think through and feel through and allow our intuition to lead us through to the next place, the next step. Like, what are my options? Who do I know who might be able to, you know, help me in some way at this time, even if it's not directly by putting dollars in my bank account, like who can I talk to? Who will listen to me? Who will make me feel better? Like, um, who, who might, maybe I'm getting like, maybe I hate my job and I'm like getting an idea for starting my own business. But like, I know everybody's going to say that I'm crazy and I'm taking too much of a risk, but like, who's, who's the one person in my life who I can tell this to, who's going to be like, Oh yeah, that, that's that makes a lot of sense. Like I see that for you. Like who can be supportive of your, of the place that you're at and also the place where you want to be. Love it. So we've kind of danced around this a little bit, but um, when we're talking about these emotions, the guilt, the shame, the things that keep us from maybe like if you are one of those people who you don't look at your budget, you don't know what your budget is, you don't look at your bank accounts, you just feel like dread, anxiety, stress about the idea of even looking. That was Um, me. For a hundred thousand years, that was me. It was, it's most of us, right? Like, especially if we always felt like we didn't have enough, the stress usually for a lot of us leads to avoidance, right? We just don't want to look because we're, we're afraid of what we're going to see, which is akin kind of to the idea of like, I don't want to go to the doctor because I don't want to find out what's like, I know that something's wrong, but if they tell me what it is, it makes it real, which is like super weird. Cause it's like, it's real anyway. That's also me. And it took me five years to go get a diagnosis for my cervical spine herniated disc that I just found out about last week, but it's really a good thing to actually finally go get some help when you need it yeah. or do an audit honestly of what is actually happening. So you can address it. <laughs> I like your song. Thank um, you. It's a, it's a smash. <laughs> it's a banger. <laughs> song of the summer 2021. <laughs> it's exactly. Song of the summer 2021. It's November. That's exactly what it was. Yeah. It's a, it was a hit you missed. Um, yeah. I mean, and that this that's what avoidance is, right? But the thing about avoidance as a coping strategy, which is what it is, right? It's a childhood learned coping strategy, is that avoidance erodes our self-esteem. And the longer we live in avoidance, like, right. And that just means telling yourself, I can't, I can't deal with that. I can't look. Well, when you tell yourself you can't, you disempower yourself. You teach yourself that you right. you're telling yourself over and over. I am incapable. Well, then why would you do it? We can't, we're not going to do things that we can't do. It doesn't make sense. And so the longer we stay in avoidance, we're telling ourselves we can't, we're diminishing our capacity to 
to, to even address it. And then problems usually compound and they get worse and worse. And the longer it goes, the worse we feel about it. And that's when we have, right, the shame starts. And shame tells us we should turn away from support and not let anyone look. And this tends to be the place that many of us start, like our kind of like whatever our financial rock bottom is, is we hit this place where it becomes unmanageable. Like we can't do it on our own anymore. And we need to go to someone for help. I had this moment, Lila's had this moment, and then many of our clients have it with us, right? Where we might be the first person in their life who's like, okay, if we're going to fix this financial situation, or we're going to help you build a business, right? What is building a business? Yes, we if we're artists, creatives, healers, we're starting this business because we have medicine to share, right? There's work on our heart that we want to do in the world, but also like, it's not a hobby. We're not just doing it for funsies. If we want it to be a business, it's because we want to make money and we need to figure out like, how much money do I need to make for this business to pay my bills, right? There's a math problem in there. Uh, And don't even get me started on how many artists have just like straight up math blocks. I had that too. So there's this moment What do you have to look, right? You have to look at the thing you've been avoiding. And it may, usually there's like a lot of fear and a lot of guilt and like upset stomach and like body anxiety. And so one of the things that led us into this episode was Lila and I talking about what usually happens with a client when we have them do their numbers for the first time. And when we say do their numbers, we mean go add up every single expense that you have and figure out how much your life costs and bring it back or let's do it on the phone. They cry. That's almost, in, in my experience, every time I've done this with somebody, they've cried. They cry. When they, they say, I'm really, this is so embarrassing. Mm-hmm. They apologize. They make excuses. They give you a bunch of disclaimers about how it won't always be this much for this long. Mm-hmm. And it is as though they think that we think that they're spending too much, mm-hmm. that they're being frivolous, right? At, whereas like... For, for real, life costs money. Life just costs, it just costs money. That's the deal that we're in right now. Don't love it. Not a fan. We shouldn't pay rent to live on the only planet that life can survive on, uh, as far as we know. But like, uh, that's what it is, right? So like life costs money and there's no, like there, even if you're in a situation where we look and we're like, yeah, your living expenses seem exorbitantly high. And maybe you have some like, you have five subscriptions that you don't use and a gym membership to a gym you've never been to. Like those are logistical issues. Like there's no judgment or shame usually from the person on the outside who's looking at these numbers, who's trying to help you. Like there, Lila and I, especially as you're like, we're not judging how much your life costs. Life just costs money. Um, but everyone pretty universally when we go through this process, if they're coming out of avoidance is shocked by what the number really is and how much their life really does cost. And Sarah and I, so Sarah is in LA, but she's from the Bay area in uh, Northern California. And I live in New York, but I'm from Boston. And so like we have both lived in like most of those cities and um, these are expensive coastal cities. We both also have like large networks on in on the coasts because that's where our personal lives have been for most of our lives. Like I've, I definitely like know folks from different States and different countries, but most of the people that I know are on the East coast. And then second to that is the West coast. These coastal cities 
are fucking expensive. And most of the people in my life live in these expensive fucking cities, friends, like, you know, clients, professional relationships. Most people I know live on the coasts. And for most people I know, for one person, the cost of living, just rent, utilities, groceries, very, very, very baseline cost of living things for most people that include student loans, et cetera. It's at least $5,000 across the board, at least. And people come to that number the first time they you know, really write out all their numbers and stuff and they see it and they think that they're the only one. And it's like, no, that's actually what it is. And so really what life costs. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And so it doesn't benefit us to be, have all this like shame and guilt about it. I'm not dismissing the fact that those are very real reactions that a lot of us feel, but it doesn't help us. So like, I want to see more people who want to do good in the world and want, you know, want good things for themselves and for the people around them in their communities. I want for us all to have a better, better financial literacy, but also just like less stigma around it and be able to talk with ourselves and each other about what life really costs and like, how much money we really want to make and all that. Yeah. And I want to put like a big, a big star here with an arrow um, about what the word budget means to, to Lila and I in particular. Right. So like for some people, when you hear the word budget, what you immediately think is restricting and cutting back. Right. And I, um, if you follow my work or you know me, I also do a lot of work in body advocacy and um, fat positivity. I am recovered from an eating disorder. I do a lot of work with um, people about diet culture. And um, again, like money, food are connected. These are root chakra things. These are like lessons we learn at home. These are like some of our earliest internalized lessons as um what it means to be nurtured, when it needs to be nourished, when it needs to be safe, right? That's food and money in this society, right? So food, money relationships are all very, very tied up. So people relate, many people relate, and I know I did, to the word budget the same way we relate to the word diet, that it means a restriction. And so when we say budgeting as self-care, you may have the idea that what we're saying is it is self-care to like be austere and like, right. Like stop eating avocado toast and make your coffee at home and like all that shit where it's actually just like, um, shaming people for spending money and for like using conveniences and like, right. For taking Ubers or like using DoorDash or like having Netflix. And like, that's not where I'm coming to it from at all. It's not where Lila's coming to it from at all. Um, what we're actually talking about when we say your budget is just understanding what your life costs and then being able to make thoughtful choices and be engaged with your, your earning and your spending in a deliberate way, right? So your budget is whatever you're earning and spending, whether you're looking at it or not, in the same way that your diet is whatever you're eating, whether you're thinking about it or not. So it doesn't mean a restriction. So when I start talking to people about looking at their budget, I think they think 
I'm going to look at their numbers and try to tell them to start giving things up and give up their pleasures and never get a massage. And like, you're never going to hear me. You're never going to hear me be like, cut out pleasure. It's like never going to (laughs) happen. It's so like the fact that you just gave that example is so I actually was just doing somebody's budget with them last week. And they, once they realized what their real numbers were, you know, they like laid out all their monthly expenses and they started crying and they started getting angry and they were like starting to get defensive, which also sometimes happens when you do people's budgets with them. I'm like, I'm not, I'm not your budget. I didn't, I didn't put these numbers here. Like, I'm sorry that you don't like them, but like they'll start, like they try to start negotiating with me and I'm like, I don't, I don't care what you spend money. If you need, if you need to like buy yourself an ice cream sundae every day to feel happy, then I support that. We just need to make sure that you can. And like, we need to make sure your life gets in a place where you can buy yourself an ice cream sundae every day, whatever. But somebody, I was doing somebody's budget with them. And like, after they added up all their base, base, base expenses, which is also something that's really interesting when I do this process with people is they don't put, they start restricting before they put the numbers down. They start restricting in their heads and they put their numbers down on paper and they don't put down the things that they normally engage in. Like, because in their head, they're like, okay, well, I normally spend too much on takeout. So I'm just going to put a hundred dollars on Uber Eats for, for my monthly expenses. Even if, even though it's like, you know, you spend a hundred dollars a weekend on Uber Eats. So put down the real number, like go look at your bank statements and see what you really spent on Uber Eats and put it down and don't pretend like that's not what you spend because we got to know what's happening in order to figure out what we're going to do about it. And they started crying after they did their base numbers and they were like, well, this means that I can't, I can't even get a massage. Like I I like to get a monthly massage. This means I can't even get a massage. I was like, well, put that number down. (laughs) If that's your monthly ritual and you do that once a month, put that number on your budget. (laughs) Don't add up everything before the thing that you do. Like add up everything. Yeah. That's your budget. And, and yeah, this is, there's so much in there, right? Because like, there's so much, um, victim blaming and poverty, right? Like just like being raised with and told that like, it's probably your fault that you don't have enough money. And that like, it, it, it also makes me think about like, like individual consumers being told like, to stop using plastic bags and stuff. Oh my God. <laughs> While corporations are like dumping gallons of toxic sludge into our waterways, right? Like we are yeah. individually. Yeah, guess what guys? If you, if you use straws, we're not going to tell on you. I have straws in my drawer right now. Blamed, shamed, <laughs> pressured, like told you're just not being responsible enough. But also this tends to be tied to the idea that your income is fixed, Yeah, right? Like that your earning potential is fixed. So your current level of earning might be, right? Like you're like, I have a job right now and this is what I earn. And right now I'm realizing that what my spending is, most people realize when we do their numbers that they're, they're just literally not earning as much as their life costs. And that's why they've been in the position they've been in where maybe like, They have to strategically float bills and decide which one they're going to wait to pay and which expense they're going to put off a little while, or it's because you're just not actually making enough in business. This usually looks like you're not making enough 
for your living expenses and your business expenses and setting money aside for taxes, um, right? Like you're not budgeting all the things. You're not thinking about all the things when you're thinking about what you need to earn. You're lowballing yourself. Like Lila said, you're, you're thinking, okay, well, like my, just my rent, this is, I'm going to give you a real number from my own life. I was living in San Francisco. Um, but like just my rent is a thousand dollars so I can live on 2,500, right? Like that. And I, I could, and I did, But for most of my life, and this was my goal, my goal was just to be able to cover my bills as an artist and not have to have a day job. So for most of my life, if you looked at my bank statement as like a graph, it would look like a little roller coaster, right? Like, so at one point in the month, there was enough money in my account to cover all of my expenses. And then I got down to having like between three and $30 if I was lucky for the last week or two of the month. And then it would do that again, right? So let there be one month where I have an emergency. Let there be one month where I have an unexpected expense, where something breaks, where I have to move, right? Like there, life happens and things come up and there's no surplus. There's no wiggle room. There's no savings because I've never really come, I've never really allowed myself to look at and come up with a number that is enough for my living expenses and, right? And that's the number we really need. We need our living expenses and. We need our living expenses and enough for a little bit of savings, our living expenses and enough for if we have a business paying our taxes, our living expenses and enough for our business expenses. And and these living expenses just cost money, right? Like, so when we start looking at the, the real number, both what we're actually spending, what we want to spend, Maybe you'll see places where you want to change things or need to change things. An example of that and things I see a lot is like you have a credit card or loans with like really high interest or just shitty rates, right? Or you have a car note um, that has really high interest and you're realizing, oh, like I make a high payment, but I'm not really making a dent in my debt, right? Like there's things like that where, okay, we may be able to get this lowered and we should because that's not like... It's not a valid expense that you're choosing. That is not your avocado toast or your massage. That's not something that brings you joy. That's like a shitty deal that you got into that someone preyed on you. And like with a little bit of information and the right strategy, you may be able to get your debt consolidated, get your student loans consolidated, refinance your car note, get payments lowered, get a better interest rate, get a better deal. There's like get things taken off your credit report. Those kinds of things, like that's usually a matter of like some education and then like being able to resource your nervous system through the panic and have somebody teach you how to do it and get calm and like be methodical and work through lowering some monthly payments. And that can free up a little bit of cash, but the goal is not to free up that cash so that you can then like, I don't know, like go back to being strapped again, right? Like where the goal is to be able to live the rich, full, joyful life that you want to live and be able to provide for yourself and your loved ones and your family the way you want to, and be able to have safety in your old age. For most of the folks that I know, like I didn't even really start addressing this stuff until I was in my mid thirties and like my body started hurting and I was like, Oh, I might live long enough to have to retire. (laughs) And if I do, how am I going to do that? Like, that's what got me into being like, I have to figure this out. Right. It's like, Will I have any savings? And I want to say 
anyone listening, no matter how old you are, it is not too late for you to start planning for that kind of stuff and start thinking about it. Yes, you will not have as much saved as if you started when you were in your 20s. If you're in your 20s, dear God, and you're listening to this, please start thinking about retirement right now. If you want to message me and talk about retirement accounts, I will talk about it with you. But like most of us don't. We are not thinking about retirement in our 20s. Um, If we don't have a job that has a 401k or whatever, we're just not thinking about that shit. We're just trying to live. So when you start really thinking about, like, I, I deserve to and want to have a comfortable life, not eat cat food when I'm old, <laughs> and then on top of that, I actually want to make an impact and create social change. I would like to be able to, like, help people in my community. I'd like to start a foundation where I help low-income folks get therapy. I want to be able to... Um, provide scholarships in my business for lots of people, right? Like most of our people, we want to do big work in the world that just costs money. And in order to live that mission, in order to live that vision, in order to live those values, the assignment for us as individuals is we're going to have to address our guilt, fear, and shame about money and like do the work that we need to do. And ooh, sidebar last thing before I let the mic go. Uh, if you're the kind of person who cares more about other people than you care about yourself sometimes, if that helps you to do it, take that, right? Like it might help you to be like, oh, if I have to address these emotions and these issues and get good at money and learn financial skills in order to be a bigger benefit. And that's the only thing that's going to motivate you to do it. That's a good enough reason. Yep. Yep. I really, really believe that like the, like I think, I think Sarah, I think we should do a whole other episode about this, <laughs> but cause I know if I start going on this tangent right now, we're going to go for another hour. <laughs> um, but one of the things I know both of us see a lot is folks who feel guilty about amassing money because the people in their circles don't necessarily have any. Mm -hmm. And, and I really like, we are, we are in a, our society is in a dire place and people good, like good, kind, generous, people who are, who are leaders, like people who are like, I have an idea and I have a vision for the way that the world could be better and like better being, you know, more inclusive and more people having more access to resources. Those are often the folks who shoot themselves in the foot on the way to expanding their vision and expanding their making, making their ideas a reality and making their ideas, like pulling their ideas down from the ether and actually embodying them and, and starting some shit. And like, so often financial self-sabotage is a piece of that puzzle. Um, so I guess we'll just leave it on a little cliffhanger here and do, do another episode of that. No, but that's important. Right. And when we're talking about emotions, about money, guilt, fear, and shame about money, Some of it is about looking, right? Some of it can be about avoidance. Some of it can be about knowing what the numbers are, but also a lot of it is about relationships and is social and is 
like every level up in any area of life is knowing that like there will be people who can't come with you. There will be people who judge you. There will be people who project onto you that you've changed in a negative way. There will be people who project their fear onto you because they feel abandoned by your growth, right? Like that always happens no matter what we're doing. And every, every bit of growth that we take on in our lives, there's, there's grief, right? That because they're shedding, there will always be people who, for whatever reason, cannot come with us. And for those of us who are again, like empathetic, kind hearted and, or like recovering codependents like myself or like people pleasers, right? The idea that like, I need you to like me so much that I'm going to keep sabotaging my growth so that you'll keep approving of me is like a very, very common thing that we go through and everyone, right? Like just people go through. And it's something I've worked with clients on a lot, especially my clients who work in the social justice arenas where they, they are in a position of like, I keep giving away everything that I have in a way that's actually preventing me from getting my work to the level of impact that it could really have. And these conversations of like, if I'm in a community of people and we're all struggling, there's only so much help I can give you from inside. But if I can get myself out and I can get stable on the other side, and I can get stable to to such a degree that I can actually reach back and start pulling people up to stability with me. That one by one, or maybe in small groups, I can start bringing people over. I can do that, right? But if I allow you to pull me back, then I can't, right? Like we're all right back in the same boat again. And so like grappling with grappling with the guilt of like, I am going to have to leave for a little while. I'm going to have to separate for a little while. I'm going to have to endure that there will be people who now judge me, who call me a sellout, who say that I'm fake, right? Like people who project their negative and limiting beliefs about people who amass money onto me. And I'm going to have to take it. I'm going to have to be okay with it. I'm going to have to allow other people to have their judgments and their opinions without needing to fix it in order... mm, this is a codependent thing without needing to fix their thoughts and opinions in order to regulate my own nervous system. I cannot regulate my own feelings of safety by fixing someone else's thoughts or opinions of me. I can just like let them have them and do my own thing and know myself, right? Know my intentions, know my heart, know that my goal in separating myself and doing this work is so that I can turn back around and help more people not so that I can like leave everyone behind me in the dust and like go like live on a yacht. Like that's not the goal. You don't want to go drive Teslas on Mars, Sarah? Uh, oh God. <laughs> go to Mars, guys. Please I mean, no offense to Mars. Like, but Mar- Mars will have its way with you. <laughs> if billionaires go to Mars, Mars will take care of that problem. Right. Go um, ahead to the war planet. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. I love it. Um, well, that made me uh, want to leave listeners with actually one last journaling prompt. And like, I really will. <laughs> I really do like encourage listeners to like do some journaling around the three prompts that we gave you during this episode. But here's a journaling prompt for you. Okay. What could you accomplish if you amassed money, what could you accomplish? How much money? Right. Well, exactly. What could you accomplish if you amassed the money to do it? 
So yeah, we'll leave, we'll leave that there. But, uh, but Sarah, I think that we should bring bagels and schmear back soon for a sort of like deep dive into that, into that territory. The, yeah, the, maybe, the we'll, maybe we'll add some locks. I don't know. What that I'm fucking, really hungry. I love locks, man. Oh, it's so good. Okay, great. <laughs> thanks for coming to bagels and schmear um i love you thank you for your time and your brain waves where can people find you on the interwebs it'll be in the show notes but where can people find you uh you can add me on instagram at a stripper's guide you can head to a stripper's for all of my lanky poos and uh my one-on-one coaching is available there as well where can people find you People can find me also on Instagram at Intuitive Edge Coaching. Um, and I guess I'll share because of when this is going to come out on the pods. Um, so I teach a program called Elemental Entrepreneurship. I teach business through the lens of the elements. If you're one of Lila's folks and you're new to me. Um, but what's changing about that is that Elemental Entrepreneurship is shifting from being a program that I teach live once a year to being um, a really modular program where there will be a quiz that you can take that will help you assess what elements you need to focus on in your business. And you'll be able to buy just one element at a time. And so in elemental terms, everything we're talking about today, for the most part is earth stuff, but it's also water stuff. So the earth stuff is the practical, the financial, the grounded, uh, those realms is in the earth stuff. And then all of the emotional components of that are in the water realm. So if this is something that you're listening to being like, I need, especially if you're a business owner, I need to figure out my business budget, my finances, how much my life really costs, what my business needs to earn, what I need to charge in my business, um, then that would be an elemental entrepreneurship earth thing. If alongside that, you're like the idea of this brings up a bunch of like shame and fear, then that would be a water thing. And so um, at Black Friday is when that store is going to open. So you can cop both of those and like get to work on it on your own. Or you can always contact Lila or I and we will do this work with you one on one. Yeah, Sarah's Elementals program is truly amazing. It's genius. Um, I have had the benefit of being her best friend all these years. So I've gotten to I've gotten to watch it form and see what it is and see how many people she has helped start fucking businesses. And it's incredible. And I do, I know that a lot of people who are listening to my podcast, if if you're listening to this on, on my channel, I know a lot of you out there are in the first phases of starting your business or thinking about starting your business. And Sarah is a great resource for that. So I hope that you'll follow her and consider investing in elementals if you're ready. Um, and also go listen to her podcast, uh, which is that will also be linked in the show notes. And since we're doing plugs, I'm going to plug a thing. And I also remembered that we both want to plug a product, which is totally not sponsoring this podcast, but we both just think it's great. Um, So my next upcoming thing is on December 2nd and 16th, I'm teaching a two-part time management workshop for creatives and scatterbrains. So if that's you, sign up. Um, That link will be in the show notes as well, but you can also get there from my website, And, oh, so we also want to, uh, if you are, if you are interested in starting or deepening your budgeting practice, there is a zine 
called Be the Queen of Pentacles. It is a tarot zine. Hold on, I want to read exactly. A tarot zine about budgeting for cosmic babes. The creator of this zine is Money Witch. And this is just a really wonderful resource for budgeting in a way that is anti-capitalist and very self-compassionate and takes into account all of the things that Sarah and I have been talking about today. So it's not just about monies, uh, sorry, money. It's not just about numbers on a page. It's about uh, sort of the emotions and the stories that we attach to money and how it's so important to address those things in order to really create a a relationship with money that is long-term and sustainable. And again, Money Witch is not sponsoring this podcast. I just really love this zine. Um, And uh, so you can order a physical copy of that, or you can order uh, just a downloadable PDF uh, copy immediately. And if you're into tarot, it is a, uh, there has, there are some tarot spreads in there. Um, But if you're not, into tarot or you don't have a tarot deck you can totally still um get a lot out of this out of this uh out of that scene so wishing you all the best and i hope you're having a great day and week and month and hopefully we'll see some of you me and sarah will see some of you in some of the things uh we'd love to hear from you and we would love if you would leave a rating and review on Apple Podcasts and or share this podcast with a friend. Even if you just share it with one person, it really means so much to us um, when you share our work. Yeah. Yeah. that's our episode for today thank you as always for being here and for listening to the podcast i know there are so many things that you could be doing with your time so many things you could be listening to it is an honor that you choose to be here connect with me on instagram at intuitive edge coaching or join my facebook group unstuck group to suggest topics or people that you'd like to hear me interview on this show have a great day